0: Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 2, Episode 39. Last week, I covered the prehistory of Syria. Remember, I chose to cover Syria now because the area was embedded in the Battle of Siddam narrative. If you missed last week's episode, you should really go back and give it a listen. This week, I'm covering the history of Syria from about 3000 BC to the 20th century, and that might be a record for me. 5,000 years in one episode. In college, I think they would call this a survey course. Obviously, it won't be terribly deep, but hopefully still interesting. So let's get started. Several episodes ago, I covered the city of Ebla, and as you may recall, Ebla was a city in what is now Syria. But a quick refresher Ebla was located near the modern city of Idlib in northern Syria and its ruins were discovered and excavated in 1975. Ebla is thought to have been a Semitic-speaking city-state founded sometime around 3000 BC. Its society peaked between about 2500 and 2400 BC, when it's believed to have controlled territory from Anatolia in the north, Mesopotamia in the east, and as far south as Damascus. Ebla built a trade network with the Mesopotamian states of Sumer, Akkad, and Assyria, as well as with peoples to their north and west. The extent of the network is evidenced by gifts from Egyptian pharaohs, which were found during excavations. Researchers suspect that the language of Abla was closely related to the similar East Semitic Akkadian language of Mesopotamia, and is thought to be among the oldest known written languages. Beginning in the 3rd millennium BC, Syria was fought over by many factions and consequently occupied successively by the Sumerians, Ebalites, Akkadians, Assyrians, Egyptians, Hittites, Hurrians, Mintani, Amorites, and the Babylonians. Ebla was most likely conquered by the Mesopotamian Akkadian Empire by none other than Sargon the Great of Akkad, sometime around 2330 BC. A few centuries later, the city reappears in the written record, as part of a nation of Semitic-speaking Amorites. It seemingly thrived through the early 2nd millennium BC, until captured by the European Hittites. During this period, portions of Syria were controlled by the Neo-Sumerian Empire, Old Assyrian Empire, and Babylonian Empire between the 22nd and 18th centuries BC. And that is essentially a long-winded introduction to the history of the Assyrian Empire. But I'm not going to cover the history of Assyria in depth right now. Instead, I'll save that several-episode narrative for when I eventually make it to the books of Kings, Isaiah, and Jonah. But, and as a teaser, let me just say that Jonah had very good reasons to not want to go to Nineveh. And, as you probably have guessed, the name Syria is most likely a derivative of the name of the Neo-Assyrian Empire, which was established in the 10th century BC the Middle Assyrian Empire began to decline in the late 11th century BC. And since nature abhors a vacuum, their decline led to the rise of the Canaanites and the Phoenicians, who both occupied the coastal areas, while the Arameans and the Soutians thrived in the interior. In about the 10th century BC, the Neo-Assyrian Empire came to prominence with the area being ruled by them for the next three centuries, lasting until the late 7th century BC. After this empire finally collapsed, Mesopotamian dominance continued for a short time under the Neo-Babylonian Empire, which ruled the region for 70 or so years. Skipping ahead just a bit, in 539 BC, the Persians seized Syria as part of their vast empire. This lasted until the Greek king Alexander the Great conquered the area in 333 BC. It was then that Syria was incorporated into the Sulacid Empire. The empire placed its capital in Antioch. But to be clear, at that time Antioch was part of Syria, but today it's just barely in sight of Turkey. In 64 BC, the Roman general Pompey the Great captured Antioch, and with that, Syria became a Roman province. At the time, the city of Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire, behind Rome and Alexandria. Researchers estimate its population to have been about half a million people at its peak. And for those of you on the metric system... Oh, wait, yeah, it's the same. Never mind. Due to its geographic position, Antioch was a major trading hub. The trade in its large size at the time was most likely the zenith of Syria for thousands of years and was not to be exceeded in the area until probably the 18th century A.D its population typically spoke Aramaic. Both of these factors, its geographic position and trading hub status, led to Syria being highly valued by Rome, especially during the 2nd and 3rd centuries AD. Of course, Syria is hugely important in the history of Christianity. In Acts chapter 9, we see Paul being converted on the road to Damascus. I'm going to continue on with the history of Syria. Even though the Christian history at the time pretty much transitioned north and west into what is now Turkey and Europe. The Roman emperor Elagabalus in the 3rd century AD was half Aramean, and apparently his family held rights to the high priesthood of their sun god El-Gabal at Emissa in Syria. As Roman emperor, he was succeeded by his cousin Alexander Severus, who was also from Syria. Not to forget, Roman emperor Philip the Arab a.k.a. Marcus Julius Philippus, who also reigned in the 3rd century, was Syrian. In the 2nd and 3rd centuries AD, Palmyra became a wealthy and powerful indigenous Aramean state. For a short time, it was the center of the Palmyrene Empire, which briefly rivaled Rome. It was located in what is now Homs, Syria, essentially smack in the middle of the country. In the late 4th century, Rome began to decline, Of course, there will be many, many episodes on this in the far distant future. With this decline, Syria became part of the Eastern Roman Empire in 395. This empire is more frequently referred to as the Byzantine Empire. Syria would remain as part of the Byzantine Empire for several centuries. In the mid-7th century AD, Syria was conquered by the Muslim Arab army led by Khalid ibn al-Walid. This resulted in Syria, and essentially the region, becoming part of the Islamic Empire. A few years later, still in the 7th century though, the Muslim Umayyad dynasty controlled the area, and even had their capital at Damascus. They divided Syria into four districts, Damascus, Homs, Palestine, and Jordan. It was at this time that the Islamic Empire expanded rapidly. It reached its peak in the late 7th through the mid-8th century AD. It was then that it stretched from Spain to India and parts of Central Asia. Owing to the reach of the empire, and that Damascus was at its political and geographic center, the people of Syria prospered. Their rulers, especially Abd al-Malik and al-Walid I, constructed several magnificent mosques and palaces in Syria. Many of these still stand in Damascus, Aleppo, and Homs. During the Muslim rule, native Christians were tolerated. The Christians were primarily ethnic Arameans and Assyrians. At the time, many Christians even held governmental posts. In the mid-8th century, the Muslim empire imploded, mostly due to leadership conflicts, regional uprisings, and religious differences. The Umayyad dynasty was ousted by the Abbasid dynasty in 750, who then moved the capital of the empire to Baghdad. Also, the new ruling party made Arabic the official language, thereby replacing Greek and Aramaic. And with this, the decline of Syria began. During this era, in the late 8th and early 9th centuries, Syria was governed from Egypt by the Tulanids. This was followed by a period of anarchy. And then the Ishidids, also from Egypt, assumed control in the mid-10th century AD. At the same time, northern Syria came under the Hamdanids of Aleppo. In the 10th century, Syria was ruled by Seif al-Dua, and the area once again emerged as a cultural center, especially for Arabic literature. Al-Dula resisted the Byzantine in the north, who repeatedly invaded. His general tactic was to counterattack Anatolia. Even then, the best defense was a good offense. After the death of Al-Dula, the Byzantines finally succeeded and captured Antioch and Aleppo, both of these in 969 AD. The region was then thrown into chaos as battles between the Hamdanids, Byzantines, and Damascus-based Fatimids raged. The Byzantines ultimately controlled all of Syria in 996, but the internal turmoil raged on through the 11th century as the Byzantines, Fatimids, and Boyids of Baghdad battled for control. Syria was then conquered by the Seljuk Turks in the late 11th century. After close to a century of Seljuk rule, Syria was again conquered in the late 12th century by Selandin, founder of the Ayyubid dynasty of Egypt. And a note, just like I covered with Canaan, this is the downside to a geography that is essentially at the crossroads of three continents. When there is peace, trade can flourish, but someone is always vying for control of the region. And those dynamics continue throughout the world today back to Syria. Then came the Crusades. During the Arab and Egyptian rulers, Crusaders from Europe were marching towards Syria. And this is not the comprehensive history that will come later, but more of a general overview. During the 12th and 13th centuries, portions of Syria were controlled by Crusader states, specifically from the Principality of Antioch, the County of Edessa, and the County of Tripoli. The area was also threatened by Islamic extremists known as assassins. And if that were not enough, in 1260, the Mongols briefly charged through Syria. Then, the withdrawal of the main Mongol army prompted the Mamluks of Egypt to invade and conquer Syria, one group after another. The Mamluks made Damascus a provincial capital and linked the city with Cairo by mail service that traveled by both horses and carrier pigeons. As you can probably guess, the carrier pigeons were not toting clay tablets. It was the Mamluks that drove off the last of the Crusaders from Syria and also repelled several Mongol invasions. In 1400, Tamir Link, a Mongol invader believed to have been from what is modern-day Uzbekistan and Tajikistan, invaded Syria and defeated the Mamluk army at Aleppo. His armies also captured Damascus. Far too many of the city's residents were massacred. Well, with the exception of the artisans, who were deported to Samarkand, a city in present-day Uzbekistan. Under the Mongols, the Christian residents were persecuted. All of this warfare essentially came to an end. Well, at least in the sense that it was being fought then. Anyway, how about I say it diminished by the end of the 15th century? This was due to the discovery of a sea route from Europe to the Far East that eliminated the need for an overland trade route through Syria. Then along came the Ottomans. Ottoman Sultan Selim I conquered most of Syria in 1516 after defeating the Mamluks at the Battle of Marj Beak near Aleppo. Syria was then part of the Ottoman Empire from 1516 to 1918 an unbelievable time span considering how many times the area changed hands over the previous centuries. Well, as a note, in the middle of this period, there were two brief incursions by the Iranian Safavids. Ottoman rule was not considered burdensome to the Syrians because the Turks, as Muslims, respected Arabic as the language of the Quran, and accepted the mantle of the defenders of the faith. Damascus once again became a major trading center, but this time on the road from Turkey to Mecca. Remember that, even then, when transportation was much more difficult than it is today, Muslims were encouraged to make the pilgrimage to Mecca at least once in their lifetimes. During the rule, the Ottoman Turks reorganized Syria into a singular large province, which was then subdivided into several districts. Ottoman government and its organization prompted a peaceful coexistence between the different contingents of Syria for over 400 years. The religious minorities, whether Shia Muslim, Greek Orthodox, Maronite, Armenian, or Jewish, were all grouped together. The religious leaders of each community administered many laws and performed certain civil functions as well. On its surface, it was similar to the rule of the Romans in the region about 1,500 years earlier. In the 19th century, throughout the world, governmental reformation was occurring. Syria and the greater Ottomans were no exception. As part of these reforms, the Ottomans established a standard provincial administration throughout the empire, with the provinces having a single governor each. But, these governors were not elected, and were instead appointed by the Ottoman Sultan. However, there were new provincial assemblies participating in the administration. At this time, the territory of Greater Syria in the final period of Ottoman rule included what is modern Syria, Lebanon, Israel, Jordan, and parts of Turkey and Iraq. Then came Archduke Ferdinand, or better said, then went the Archduke and the fallout of his assassination is also known as World War I. But backing up just a second, during the early 20th century, the demographics of the area shifted dramatically. Well, actually, that's far too polite of a statement. The shifting demographics was a result of genocide, or some circles prefer to refer to it as ethnic cleansing. But that seems more palatable. It's not. In this time... Turkish troops, supplemented by Kurdish forces, systematically executed Christians. Several Circian, Kurdish, and Chechen ethnic groups cooperated with the Ottoman authorities in the massacres of Armenian and Assyrian Christians in Upper Mesopotamia. Most of this occurred between 1914 and 1920, with additional assaults on unarmed escaping civilians being conducted by local Arab forces. With this, many Assyrians fled to Syria during the genocide, and settled mainly in the Jazira region of northeastern Syria. During World War I, Kurdish tribes attacked and defeated the villages in the Albak district, which lies immediately north of the Hakkari Mountains, which are between Syria, Turkey, and Iraq. According to British Lieutenant Colonel Ronald Stafford, large numbers of Assyrian and Armenian civilians were killed. In October 1918, Arab and British troops advanced into Syria and captured Damascus and Aleppo. This led French diplomat Francois Georges Picot and British diplomat Mark Stykes to secretly agree on the post war division of the Ottoman Empire into respective zones of authority. In accordance with the Sykes Picot Agreement, Syria became a League of Nations mandate under French control in 1920. Actually, the story is a bit more interesting. In 1919, a short-lived, dependent kingdom of Syria was established under Amir Faisal I of the Hashemite dynasty. As a footnote, Faisal would later become the king of Iraq. In March 1920, the Syrian National Congress declared Faisal the king of Syria in its natural boundaries, from the Taurus Mountains in Turkey to the Sinai Desert in Egypt. This, too, was not the last, as his rule over Syria ended only after a few months following a battle between his Syrian Arab forces and French forces at Mesalun. As a result, French troops took control of Syria and forced Faisal to flee. Later that year, the San Remo Conference split up Faisal's kingdom and placed Syria and Lebanon under a French mandate, with Palestine under British control. The French divided Syria into three autonomous regions, with separate areas for the Druze in the south and the Alawis on the coast. In October 1921, in the historically important Christian city of Nusaybin, the Christian population fled after the city was surrendered to Turkey through the Franco-Turkish Agreement of Ankara in October 1921. The agreement led to the Christian population crossing the border into Syria and settling at Kamishli. The area was separated from Turkey by a rail line, which served as the new border. In the end, or at least at this time, Nasir bin became Kurdish, and Kashmili became a Syriac Christian city. But like we've seen throughout this episode, this too was not to last. In 1926, the Kurds began to immigrate to Syria following the failure of a rebellion of Sid Ali Nashkabandi against the ruling Turks. Overall, throughout the 1920s, Surges of Kurds fled their homes in Turkey and settled in northeastern Syria. This was partially motivated by the policy of the ruling French authorities in Syria who granted citizenship to the arriving Kurds. Of course, the native groups were not thrilled with being ruled over by the French. Consequently, there was a nationalist movement against French rule, which led to Sultan al-Atrash leading a revolt that broke out in Dra's Mountains in 1925. The revolt spread across the whole of Syria and parts of Lebanon. This uprising led to intense battles between the rebels and the French forces in Damascus, Homs, and Hama, before it was finally quashed in 1926. The French sentenced the sultan to death, but he escaped with the rebels to Transjordan. Eventually, he was pardoned. The sultan returned to Syria in 1937, where he was met with an outpouring of support. Backing up just a bit. In 1928, elections were held to form a representative assembly, which then drafted a constitution for Syria. However, the French high commissioner rejected the proposals, which of course led to more nationalist protest. Syria and France then negotiated a treaty which would lead to Syrian independence. France agreed to the concept of independence in principle, although the agreement would maintain French military and economic dominance. Not exactly independence, in my opinion. Hashim al-Atassi, who previously had been prime minister under King Faisal's brief control, was the first president to be elected under the new constitution. This leads this period to be considered the first appearance of the modern republic of Syria, but the treaty never came into realization due to the French legislature's refusal to ratify it. Then in 1936, the French forces bombed the Kurds after declaring martial law. This led to a retaliatory attack when approximately 500 Kurds from their Dekuri, Milan, and Kiki tribes attacked the predominantly Christian city of Amuda, torching the town. The city was effectively destroyed and the Christian population, numbering about 300 families, fled to the towns of Kashmili and Hasaka. Then, France fell to Germany in 1940 during World War II, and Syria came under the control of the displaced offshore French government, also known as the Vichy French government. This lasted until the British and Free French gained control of the country in the Syria-Lebanon campaign, which occurred in July 1941. Also in 1941, the Assyrian community of al-Malakaya underwent a vicious assault The assault was unsuccessful, but despite this, Assyrians were terrorized and fled in great numbers. This, coupled with the immigration of Kurds from Turkey to the area, resulted in a Kurdish majority in the regions around Amuda, al-Malakaya, and al-Darbadissa. In the midst of all this, and partially due to the British and French fighting throughout Europe and North Africa, Syria proclaimed its independence again in 1941. Although, it was not until 1944 that it was recognized as an independent republic. But the French military remained in the country, but agreed to withdraw. In 1945, there were protests over the slow pace of French withdrawal. The French responded to these protests aggressively with their army's artillery. Overall, the French were not pleased with the movement toward independence, and French troops occupied the Syrian parliament in May 1945 and even disconnected Damascus from the electrical grid. They then shelled portions of Damascus and killed over 400 Syrians and destroyed hundreds of homes. The native Syrians did not relent and continued to pressure the French. Eventually, the French abandoned Syria with their last troops withdrawing in April 1946. At that time, the country was left to the Republican government that had been formed during French control. And that's the episode for this week. Join me next week when I'll finish the history of the country of Syria. You don't want to miss it. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. You can also find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page. And if you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released. Finally, go to iTunes and give the podcast a positive review. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.